Hey, what's up, everyone? This is the Sons of History podcast. I'm Dustin Bass. And I'm Alan Joaquin. All right, we've got a very, very special podcast episode for you today. Um, First and foremost, happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans out there. Secondly, this is a Veterans Day episode. Well, man, Alan, you have done above and beyond what I could ever expect you to do for this show (laughs) And that is bring somebody on here that I look forward to listening to. Did you ever doubt me? No, I never doubted you. I just know that my voice and your voice combined, not as great as it's cracked up to be. Given that, I know that you did an incredible interview. I've already already seen it um, and listened to it. It's an incredible interview. And I don't want to spoil the surprise. I want you to talk about how you ran into this gentleman, who he is, and just everything around it. Go ahead. Many years ago, I used to do uh, volunteer work for the uh, Wings Over Houston's autograph tent. Uh, They would bring in veterans from World War II, Korean War, Vietnam, Afghanistan. Um, I'm not volunteering right now, but I still maintain friendships with many who who still are. Mm This year, there was a hero, a warrior, who served with the Tuskegee Airmen. His name was Charles McGee. Um, If you're familiar with the Tuskegee Airmen, there was a recent movie called Red Tails. Mm -hmm. Um, There was also a previous movie that came out about 20 years ago uh, that had uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. um, and Lawrence Fishburne, very famous a group of airmen, and uh, even uh, Eleanor uh, Roosevelt uh, paid tribute to them at the time. Uh, they flew uh, P-40s and then later uh, uh, P-51 Mustangs. Um, quite an impressive combat record. Yeah. Um, they provided escort for our bombers, uh, B-17s and B-24s. Mm-hmm. And during those escorts, now, there is a claim by many historians who state that they didn't lose any bombers in uh, air-to-air combat, uh, meaning that uh, the German Messerschmitts did not shoot down any of our bombers, provided that they were escorting them. Now, they did lose some bombers to artillery, uh, 88s fired uh, from the ground level, but in terms of air-to-air combat, uh, they managed to uh, to defend all the bombers, and they um, didn't lose any. It's incredible. And so you, how did you, okay, one, how did you track down Mr. McGee? Well, I I met with him and I told him that I was with the Sons of History and I would love to interview him for, I I told him about 10 minutes the most. Yeah. And he agreed to it. Um, He told me to meet him at, uh, there were going to be many, uh, many of these vets that were going to be uh, uh, having dinner at a hotel uh, in the in the Clear Lake area, uh, I met with him in the lobby, and what turned in from a ten minute interview ended up being about a thirty minute interview. Yeah, um, he the man spoke so much about his experiences, things that he saw during the war, things that he experienced when he came back to the United States. Um, went through a lot of hardship because of uh, prejudice, right, and uh, racism. But he overcame 
all those issues, mm-hmm. and uh, doesn't uh, he's not upset by it. He's very uh, looking. He's looking forward to the future, yeah. um, and wants to see young men, uh, young men of color, um, striving, not letting anything get in their way. Right. Very positive man, and in fact, his uh, son who. Um, held the camera uh, was a uh, major also in the uh, in the military. I don't re- recall what branch of the military, mm-hmm. but, but uh, his son accomplished much also. Yeah. So um, incredible man. He's got a, a great record. Uh, if you get a chance to uh, look him up, but but you will get a chance to listen to that interview. Yeah. And uh, it occurred about two weeks ago. Yeah. So uh, when you told me that you had interviewed him. Um, and then I, I, I was, I started watching the interview that you had, you had sent. Um, I more or less directly went and looked up Charles McGee, you know, World War One fighter pilot. That whole thing. man, he's. Did I say World War One? You said yeah. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't think he's that old. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, uh, <laughs> I mean, and they barely had planes back in those days. Well, there there are no World War One uh, survivors. They're they're all past, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. and if there were any, that would be quite impressive. Yeah. Um, no, World War Two. So I I went and checked him out, and man, he's just like all over Google, and and so I was clicking on just these links about him, and he and this this guy is like a war hero to the T. Like if you want to go check him out, uh, just, just Google, um, Charles McGee, um, Tuskegee airman, and you will be blown away by, uh, to me, it's just one, it's an honor to even be able to get to interview anybody who is a veteran. Um, but somebody of his caliber who has done the things and seen the things and has still the, when you watch this interview or you listen to this interview, you can just, you feel the heart of this man. And you're like, as far as young people emulation, like this is the guy that you would want to emulate. And I think it's just, a, I think you did a wonderful job with the interview, but it's just a beautiful interview um, of how it just, the whole, all of his stories and just, just the way he just, has the constant hope from all the things that he experienced in war and then coming back home. And like you said, just, you know, facing, you know, the racism and the prejudice and knowing all the things that he had accomplished and done fighting for this country, you know, and he overcame everything. Yes. And he is a proud American. I mean, the guy had a lapel pin of Mm -hmm. the American flag. Yeah. There's no, no uh, anger in this gentleman. No, He's very positive. Yeah, and I I, I don't want to like just continue talking about him. I want you guys to listen to this interview. um, And I guarantee you that I think it'll bless you. I really do. I think just listening to Mr. McGee will bless you uh, just listening to it. And it'll give you, if you have some, some doubts about the future of this country or whatever, Listen to this pod. Listen to this interview. Or if you have doubts about yourself, if you're having issues, you feel down on yourself. You feel like you've got too many obstacles in the way. Mm-hmm. If you listen to this guy, this guy faced obstacles, a lot of obstacles, yes. and he overcame them. And, and like I said, he's not he's not angered. He's positive. Yeah. You just listen to him. The, the man uplifts you, and he would be a great role model. Mm-hmm. 
for everyone. For everybody. Yeah. And I, th- I think you, you hit on a very valid point where we, Americans today, it seems like everyone is so angry at each other. Oh, man, if we can just, if we can be like this man right here, this whole country would be so much better off. Um, and so uh, without further ado, thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. And we know that you are going to thoroughly enjoy this interview and once again, thank you, Alan. Uh, do you want to talk about his book for a second, like sort of put his book out there? So if uh, anybody wants to buy it, what's the name of it? Uh, the book is called uh, Tuskegee Airman, 5th Edition, The Biography of Charles E. McGee. It's written by Charlene McGee Smith, yeah. PhD. So I'm assuming that is his daughter. Um, it, it is in paperback, and it's... Uh, about a little less than 250 pages. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Enjoy. And once again, happy Veterans Day to all of you. And happy Armistice Day, too. Hello. My name is Alan Joaquim, and uh, I am with the Sons of History. Uh, today we have the honor and privilege of interviewing uh, Colonel Charles McGee. He was with the Tuskegee Airmen, yes, the famous Tuskegee Airmen from World War II. Uh, we were very fortunate to uh, run into him today, so we're going to ask him a few questions, and uh, I think you will find this a great treat. So, here is Colonel Charles McGee. How are you doing today, Colonel? I'm doing fine, and I hope you are too. <laughs> I, I'm doing well. How do you like Houston so far? Houston's great. Unfortunately, the weather isn't the best, and hope the sun comes out while I'm here. Because, <laughs> but but the crowd and the activity is super. Excellent. Now, uh, where where do you live right now? I live in Bethesda, Maryland now. Many years uh, since I was in Kansas City, Missouri. Wow, that's uh, that's a long way, Bethesda. I, I used to work there. I say yes, it is. But it was, it's good to be able to be here and share with the folks that are gathered for this year's Wings Over Houston. Well, excellent. Well, I have a couple of questions for you, which uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, if uh, if people had the opportunity to ask you a question, that these would be the questions they would ask. So, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, first, yes. um, because Hollywood likes to. Um, overdo movies or maybe even books, some of the books that come out. Um, do you have a recommendation for any movies that people can see that's realistic or that you enjoyed? Well, certainly uh, the Red Tails movie by George Lucas uh, that's the most recent uh, uh, is, uh, as war movies go, I think quite good. But certainly they do take license to attract people to come into the theater so everything in and you say well, well it's a composite that wasn't me but <laughs> it's it's that type of thing uh, there was a movie uh, pbs in the early 90s that is a documentary so if you can compare the two you really get the picture but also george lucas did uh, a, a documentary called double victory Victory over Hitler in Europe and victory over racism here at home. And if you can find that, and I've been told that uh, if you buy a disc, if you get 
the Blu-ray version of Red Tails, he also has the version of Double Victory there. So then you get the real picture and you get the movie picture where they take a little license. Okay, well, um, now I know there was also a Tuskegee uh, Airmen movie that had Lawrence Fishburne and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. What did you think of that one? Well, they, they did a good job of the acting. I'd just say that because they take a little license, you can say, well, that's a composite. That wasn't me, maybe, or partially it was. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those things you have to take what you get. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, um, now, what, uh, what moment or event while you were with the uh, Tuskegee Airmen stood out? Um, what do you remember the most? Uh, maybe it might have been anyone famous you met or events during the fighting itself. Well, certainly, uh, uh, I would, standing out was our leadership under the leadership that we had from Ben Davis, Jr. Um, and if folks don't know his history... Uh, he graduated from West Point in 1936, but went four years of silent treatment, only spoken to on official business, uh, had no roommate. Uh, it was quite, but he went as a captain, uh, went through the training that uh, the Army initially thought was an experiment, 99th Pursuit Squadron, and became the squadron commander, but later, um, they realized that uh, his classmates from West Point were all lieutenant colonels, so they bumped him up. But he started out as our leadership as lieutenant colonel and eventually full colonel. But it's like having the right person at the right time for the right job. We couldn't have had better leadership, and he certainly focused and let us young, as I say, rash second and first lieutenants know what the task was what the assignment was and what his expectations were, and that was great for us. Okay. Um, what uh, now? What did you fly? I flew all all of the now called Tuskegee Airmen. We weren't called Tuskegee Airmen earlier. That was the location of our training. Um, but uh, as pilot graduates, we all were checked out in the P-40. But only the first squadron, the 99th Pursuit Squadron, flew it in combat. The three fighter squadrons that followed them were combat ready in the P-40, and then they said, well, we're changing you to the P-39 Bel Air Cobra. So the 99th went into combat flying the P-40 doing interdiction and ground support, North Africa, Sicily, and into Italy. The other three squadrons, the 332nd Fighter Group, went directly into Italy, and we were doing with the P-39 Bel Air Cobra uh, patrol of Naples Harbor and the waterways to the Anzio Beachhead and that type of thing. But in the spring of uh, 44, the 332nd Fighter Group was one of the four groups picked to begin escorting our bombers. You know, they thought we had enough guns on our B-17s and B-24s to protect them from the German Air Force, and that turned out not to be the case. And, but for each bomber, lost that 10 American lives. So four groups were picked from the uh, 12th Tactical Air Force to move to strategic, 15th Strategic Air Force. And uh, we picked up uh, P-47 Thunderbolts in combat and began the escort work. But three months later, we got the P-51 Mustang, which turned out, uh, particularly the Mustang with the 
Rolls-Royce Merlin, uh, Merlin engine was super for the job we had. Range, speed, and altitude capability was exceptional and perfect, particularly for escorting B-17s that flew a little bit higher than the B-24s, but the perfect aircraft for the tasks that we were assigned. And did, uh, now, did you have a red tail on your, uh, on your plane? Yes. You know, that's interesting. Everybody, a lot of folks aren't realize how did we become a red tail. Uh, 15th Air Force realized that these planes suddenly showing up for escort were not German. Mm-hmm. And the gunners on the, our bombers needed to recognize one squadron had yellow tail, one had candy stripe, red and white, another had checkerboard, orange and black, 332nd fighter group had the red tail. That stuck with us, so that's why now they say uh, those of us that got into combat of the Tuskegee Airmen were the red tails. Of course, that's not all of the Tuskegee Airmen story, but uh, it is the story of those who got overseas. Okay, now what, uh, I know everyone, as you were, you were saying that um, y'all were not known as Tuskegee Airmen at the time, so uh, if you could tell the audience, what was the name of the fighter group or the squadron that, that way, when they look it up, they'll know exactly what the name of it was. Okay. The experiment that the Army Air Corps started with was the 99th Pursuit Squadron, later changed to 99th Fighter Squadron, flying P-40 aircraft. Following them was the 332nd Fighter Group, three additional single-engine fighter squadrons, the 90. The 100th, the 301st, and 302nd that became the 332nd Fighter Group. And although we had become combat ready in the P-40, we were switched to the P-39 and went into combat first with the P-39, uh, then uh, the group being one of the four picked to begin the escort work, we switched to the P-47 Thunderbolt in combat, continued Uh, about three months later with the P-51 Mustang, uh, which was from uh, July of 44 on through the end of the war, it was the P-51. Of course, that was the key aircraft that had the range, speed, and altitude capability that allowed us to do a tremendous job. Okay, now I'm sure everyone wants to know, uh, I know y'all did a lot of escorts. so did you, were you, did you manage to shoot down any plane? Did you damage any plane? And what was the, I know y'all had the Messerschmitts. Did you ever come across the uh, 262, 109? Yeah, that's very interesting. I ended up with the victory in August of 44, catching a Falk Wolf 190. Um, but in our 172 escort missions, uh, fortunately we had no losses, and I think we destroyed in the air, um, well over a hundred German aircraft, but we also had fighter sweeps uh, once we destroyed their oil making potential and that type of thing. Uh, we destroyed probably more aircraft on fighter sweeps on the ground than we did, we did in the air. That's For those who want to know the story, in the, and certainly to correct something that it's often been said, you know, things get said and it sounds good. Because somebody had told uh, uh, Colonel Davis that we never lost a bomber under escort. 
Well, I'll just say, if you ever use the word never, you have to qualify. We never lost a, a bomber escorting on 172 missions. We had 179 missions. So there were some losses, but the re, uh, research has shown that the 332nd Fighter Group's record was the best of the groups doing escort work for 15th Air Force, both in aircraft, in commission, number of losses, and that type of thing. I had heard that there were some bombers that were lost to flak, but it was the uh, it was lo lo losing them to uh, to German fighter. That was where the record really stood out. That 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 was the toughest thing for them. Uh, a number, of course, uh, a bomber with one engine, some with two engines out, could get back home with damage by flak. But a number were lost. But but uh, it it was with the escort that allowed them, of course, what it was all about was saving lives because each bomber that was able to get back safely meant lives saved. A bomber lost, uh, most of the bombers, that would be 10 American lives. So that's what the escort work was all about. The focus was on saving lives. And as I say, the leadership that we had under Ben Davis Jr. let us race second, first lieutenants know what the task was. So we didn't do any happy hunting. <laughs> um, if uh, our bomber group was attacked, we uh, dispatched elements to chase them off. But we didn't leave the bombers just because there was word that there were German aircraft in, in the air. And, and that, that made a difference in the, the record that we were able, able to accomplish. Although I had come home um, when I was still there through November of 44, we saw uh, Messerschmitts and Folk Wolfs, but uh, those that were there in the 45, just before the, winter, the war ended, uh, on a long flight uh, to Berlin, uh, actually ran into the jet ME-262 and they were able to uh, destroy it. Uh, in fact, the group destroyed three on the, their mission, uh, which was unusual, but uh, accomplished uh, again with the P-51. Wow. The 262. <laughs> I mean, the 262s jet that were put up in the defense of Berlin just before the war ended. So uh, I, I never saw one of the jets in the air on the missions that I was there, but as I say, that was late in the war when... Germany uh, had developed the jet and, and put it in the, in the part of their defense structure. Uh, for, uh, for those of you who do not know, uh, the primary uh, weapon that the, that the Luftwaffe, which is the German Air Force, used was, uh, I know there was the Messerschmitt 109 and the, and the BF 109, um, but at the end of the war, and those were propeller uh, planes, at the end of the war, the Germans whipped out these German whipped out these uh, fighter jets. I mean, these these were not propellers; these were jet fighters. Uh, they were known as the Messerschmitt 262. That that is the uh, the uh, jet fighter that he is referring to. Yes, that's right. Uh, which was put in the air the very late in the war. And for I had come home, so I never saw one. <laughs> you never saw one. <laughs> When um, now, how did your uh, how did your family and friends uh, react when you came home, knowing that you served the way you did? Well, uh, many didn't know that how well we had served, and uh, 
And it's, it's a bit unfortunate at that time that although the uh, Air Force uh, later integrated, uh, we were segregated in, in all of our training and in all of our combat work, and many of the bombers did not know that the Red Tails were black pilots. Uh, and coming home, we still face the problem of blacks this way, whites this way, uh, uh, and uh, travel uh, accommodations and those things were still a struggle. It took a while. Uh, and it's interesting that, that the Army never changed their policy throughout the war. Um, of course, the war ending 45 and 47, our United States Air Force uh, was born, if you will, the air arm separating from the ground arm. And in their studies, uh, it, they had determined that they knew to de needed to use people based on training and experience where needed, not their happenstance of birth, if, if you will. And, and they were not getting uh, enough money to keep, at that time, Lockburn Air Base open and meet their requirements, but in a segregated uh, manner. So they needed to integrate. Uh, fortunately, their decision was backed by a very courageous president, Harry Truman, who a few months later issued executive orders, uh, 9981 mandating all the services need to integrate. And I believe 9980 mandated there should be equal access and equal hiring throughout the federal government. But it, it's very evident that the Air Force and what was taking place uh, was supported by the performance that we rendered that dispelled the biases and generalizations that had become a part of Army war policy, if you will, or mobilization policy. Uh, and. Uh, that, uh, so the Air Force led the country when they closed the segregated base in the uh, July, 1st of July, 1949. Mm -hmm. Big change. Yeah. <laughs> so now, were you still in at that time when, was, when they integrated? or I still was integrated and uh, went to my first integrated assignment to, to Smoky Hill Air Base, Salina, Kansas. But because of the nature of the country, and never got my family there. I got along fine on my work on base, but still many places off base where uh, blacks were not that welcome or the opportunities to get housing or that type of thing uh, still was a problem. So it took a few years and uh, you can understand the uh, civil rights action uh, in the 60s that helped still bring a further change here in the country and those were just something that we faced even though the service was providing and if you will leading the country in some of this change um, it took a while before the same changes that became available across the country hmm. when um so when when would you say things got better for you all Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't put that into uh, months or time. Uh, I just know for uh, many times we got better assignments overseas than back here at home just because of location. Um, 
And in those early years, uh, a lot of that was before military bases had housing. So and particularly in the South, that was a big problem for the many assigned there. There was also the school problem uh, more evident in the South than other places that uh, were quite, quite a bit of problem for growing families. But again, change came about slowly. Uh, uh, you know, like we say, segregation is, is a statement of policy and so on. Integration is the action. Uh, that took a little time. So, uh, but eventually, uh, even across the country and in, in the South, uh, uh, the change came that uh, allowed uh, you to be able to travel to get a motel or eat at a restaurant uh, um, with, without a problem. It took a little while, but, but again, it was a change that uh, the country needed. Mm -hmm. And what, uh, although we didn't set out to be a civil rights action, what we accomplished um, uh, certainly helped lead and help change minds and, as I say, dispel the biases, generalizations, and sometimes racist thoughts that, that many had against the black American. I, I would like to know, um, that that's, that's very, um, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm at a loss for words right now. Um, people such as yourself deserved much better. And um, I mean, I, that's one of my greatest regrets is that heroes such as yourself were treated in such an ill manner. Well, I don't consider myself a hero. You know, the country came out of 10 years of depression when uh, the government decided to help our allies in Europe and, uh, and declared war. And, and although the action didn't change segregation, the opportunity for people, the jobs, the war buildup, those that wanted to either were drafted or enlisted in the service. Uh, all Americans were interested in that change, uh, blacks as well as whites, and, but it just took a little time for a lot of folks to realize that. But but it's it's been good for the country and where we still have problems of uh, I think we're more diverse now than we were then, and there's still problems. Uh, it's something that we have to overcome that, and, and realize that uh, uh, it's not color of skin or happenstance of birth that is important. It's the education you get, the opportunities are there, and how you prepare to meet those opportunities. When um, when did uh, your unit get the recognition that it deserved? And by the way, I do want to state that you are a hero. You may not call yourself one, but but if you look at what the definition of a hero is, or if you look at how people uh, view your unit or view the you know the greatest generation, to all of us, you are heroes. But uh, when, when would you say that you received, when you finally received the recognition that you, uh, that you and your unit deserved? Well, I would really say it began when the Air Force ended and closed the segregation base, which was Lockburn Air Base south of Columbus, Ohio at the time, because 
When training ended in 46, those of us that were at, still at Tuskegee were assigned to Lockburn Air Base. With that base closed, it was an, a, certainly a big step for the country, but, but that's when things began to change for those of us that, uh, and I've often told folks I don't have any good word I can say about segregation, but then on the other hand, I say I do have a, a, a good word to say because in the years, um, what we were together, if you say from 1941 to 1949, we developed lifelong friendships out of that. And, and that, that's something we can never turn, turn our back on. But, but the move and the challenge, the value lessons that sustained us through those days are still good for the young folks today for our country's future. So uh, that's what uh, uh, has helped, I think, all of us uh, realizing that, that we have to mentor and, mo and motivate our, our youth to continue the freedoms that uh, we so much enjoy here in America. Uh, do you do you uh, still do you still talk to uh, the your friends? Or are they still? I mean, what? Oh yes, uh, we didn't organize until 1972, and that's when the name Tuskegee Airmen really uh, was, uh, if you will, cemented. <laughs> In, in our thoughts and minds by forming a national organization. And we organized in three regions across the country uh, and with from probably four locations that had strong gatherings, Chicago, Detroit, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles. Uh, we ended up, as I say, forming in three regions and we have just over 50 chapters across the country today. We have a very strong uh, uh, what I want to say, uh, little words getting away from me, uh, but but uh, uh, to, to motivate youth uh, in aviation and space career. In fact, our or our two reasons for uh, enrolling the Tuskegee Airmen Incorporated was to preserve the history for what it's meant to the country and motivate youth in aviation space uh, career opportunities. And our National Scholarship Fund is at a level that for the last more than uh, 10 years now, uh, we, we annually give some $40, $1,500 scholarships to youth, uh, high school youth that are recommended by the chapters. Um, in going to college and any uh, aviation space career opportunity. So it's something that uh, out of our experience, we still enjoy our comradeship, but the key is motivating our youth because they are America's future. Let me ask you this. Um, you get shot down over uh, Central Europe, you have difficulty hiding. You're going to stand out. So, what? Uh, I mean, were you were, were you scared? Um, did adrenaline prevent you being too? <laughs> That's certainly a good question. But it turns out that we had some 32 pilots who became German prisoners of war. But in the war, the Germans followed the Geneva Convention. They did not segregate the black pilots that were incarcerated. And uh, 
Well, that was a very interesting because our service overseas was segregated because our pol army policy, but the Germans didn't follow that for those who became prisoners of war. So it's interesting to some say that they were better treated for the short time that they were incarcerated than they would face while they were actually fighting. It's an irony. Yes, indeed. When you look back on your uh, time serving, now, do you look at back? Do you look back with um, with fondness? Do you smile about it, or is it more of a, a dark moment in your life that you wish to forget? I I don't have a dark moment in mine. I I grew up uh, just with the idea that you always treat others like you want to be treated. I was glad to be a scout and. I still say if everybody lived by the Scout Oath and the 12 Scout Laws, we'd certainly have a different country. Uh, but but it, it, it's, it's attitude. And uh, certainly uh, going around and chip on your shoulder. Well, I always remember the early saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words don't won't hurt me any. So... You didn't get in a fight over being called something or because uh, you were denied things. You marched on, if you will, to uh, look for that better day. Unfortunately, it has come slowly. Some areas it may still exist, but by and large, um, there are opportunities. And I say the value lessons that sustained us are good for us to pass on to our young people today. you have any regrets? I don't have any regrets at all. Uh, uh, sometimes folks ask, you know, why would you serve a country that treated you that way? And they say, well, I know of no other citizenship than being an American. And so uh, what I would pass on for all, in fact, I wish we had universal suffrage and everybody served a couple of years and then went about their business that didn't want to stay in the service. Uh, but again, uh, I think we have to look and see what, what, what is your attitude. And certainly it should be one to preserve the uh, freedoms that we so much enjoy and assure that uh, our youth are on the right track or that, that they don't disappear. You wrote a book. What, uh, if you want to tell the audience, what's the name of the book and how can they get a hold of it? Well, uh, I did, my oldest daughter really did the writing. You know, folks used to say, you need to tell your story. I said, but I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer. She attended one of our conventions and decided to do it. Then the family sh shared. She and her brother and sister and I, uh, after uh, she had put a lot of words together, got together and ended up... Uh, Putting out, and the book is called Tuskegee Airmen Biography of Colonel Charles McGee, uh, Fighter Combat Record Holder. And that turned out because during my service, having served in uh, um, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, I ended up with a fighter combat record of 100 or more missions in each of those three wars. Um, so that was something to pass on, something certainly to be proud of, and uh, it's one of the things that uh, you can just say, no regrets. 
Colonel Charles McGee, do you have uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add? Well, the only thing I'd say, the one thing I pass on, I have three, four Ps that I pass on to the young folks, and they're good for the adults who are mentoring our young people. Perceive, prepare, perform, persevere. Perceive, dream your dreams, but find your talents, what they are, develop them. Uh, uh, and I always like to add, uh, hopefully you find something you like to do because I loved aviation. But prepare, get a good education, learn to read, write, and speak well, but, and develop the talents that you've discovered. Um, perform, always doing your best, but let excellence be your goal in everything that you do, and, and certainly uh, persevere. You know, we could have hung our heads and gone off in the corner and moped and not done anything, saying they don't like me, don't want me. Uh, don't let the circumstances be your excuse for not achieving. I'm overwhelmed. This is uh, Colonel Charles McGee, and his son Ronald is uh, is filming us. Um, I want to just say that it has been an honor and a pleasure meeting you. Well, thank you, and my pleasure to be able to share uh, with you, uh, indeed. Well, God bless you. Thank you. And I hope, uh, I hope you continue coming to the uh, Wings Over Houston because there are a lot of people who need to meet you. Well, so. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and all I can say is, good Lord willing, maybe we'll be back another year. I hope so. Okay, well, this is Alan Joaquin with the Sons of History with uh, Colonel Charles McGee and his son Ronald. Uh, I want to thank you all, and I hope you enjoyed this. Thank you. All right, everyone, we really hope that you enjoyed that interview with Colonel Charles McGee. Um, and once again, a very happy Veterans Day to all of you veterans out there. Thank you so much for your service. Alan, you wanted to add one more thing about today. Today is the centennial of the ending of World War I. Uh, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, Paris time, the guns of Europe finally went silent and the end of the war finally came. Um, it, wasn't, it was just a ceasefire. Uh, it wasn't until June 28th of the following year when the uh, Treaty of Versailles was signed that they officially had peace. But the war itself ended 100 years ago today. And uh, I think it's very important to remember and to commemorate all the veterans, uh, not only in the United States, but all our friends and even from our enemies uh, of that war. Uh, we think of them uh, on this day. Awesome. Um, and if you would be so kind, uh, go ahead and share this podcast maybe with any veterans that you know. Uh, they may uh, really enjoy this episode. And also, while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform uh, you are using. And if you would be so kind as well to leave us a review or at least put uh, at least five stars on that review, uh, that would be great. Uh, we really we really hope that you'll do that and spread the word about our podcast and what the Sons of History is all about. We also have our 
YouTube page uh, for people to subscribe to. YouTube, uh, Instagram, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook. Yeah. And we have the website itself. And we do have the website. You can go to thesonsofhistory.com and check it out. We've got some really cool articles uh, that discuss things that happened during the American Revolution, which is what our topic is uh, right now with our YouTube series. So you can go check that out. And I know episode one is up on our YouTube uh, page and also on the website itself. So go check it out, thesonsofhistory.com. And we will talk to you later.